Welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast, a show exploring how herbs heal as medicine, as food, and through nature connection. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt. I'm an herbalist teacher and the best-selling author of the books Alchemy of Herbs and Wild Remedies. I created this podcast to share trusted herbal wisdom so that you can get the best results when relying on herbs for your health. I love offering up practical knowledge to help you dive deeper into the world of medicinal plants and seasonal living. My goal is that you'll walk away from each episode feeling inspired to start working with herbs in your everyday life. Each episode of the podcast is available on my Herbs with Rosalie YouTube channel, as well as your favorite podcast app. Transcripts and recipes for each episode can be found at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. To get the latest news, as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea. Let's dive in. Today's guest has been an herbalist for many decades and has taught many herbal students over the years. Kat Meyer is the founder and director of Sacred Plant Traditions, a center for herbal studies in Charlottesville, Virginia. One of her greatest accomplishments has been to train many clinical herbalists who have gone on to begin other schools, apothecaries, or open practices. In clinical practice for over 30 years, Kat teaches internationally at universities, conferences, and herbal schools. She is a founding member of Botanica Mobile Clinic, a nonprofit dedicated to providing accessible herbal medicine to local communities. This grew out of her school's free clinic, which was one of the first on the East Coast and went on to be a template for other schools. She began her study of plants as a Peace Corps volunteer, and her training as a physician's assistant allows her to weave the language of biomedicine into her practice of traditional energetic herbalism. She is co-author of Bush Medicine of San Salvador Island, Bahamas. As a passionate steward of the plants, Kat also served as president of the United Plant Savers and was the recipient of the organization's first Medicinal Plant Conservation Award. Hello and welcome, Kat. I'm so thrilled to have you here on the show. I know, Rosalie. I've been really looking forward to it myself. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Well, we're going to talk about so many fun things today. I'm really excited about your new book. Uh, But before we jump into that, I would love to share, uh, for you to share with everybody how you got into this plant world. Mm, Thank you, Rosalie. And I love that you asked that question. I've loved your guests and all of our stories are just so wonderful and inspiring. And uh, so it's just such a wonderful way um, to begin. So, you know, growing up, I, we didn't go to the doctor. We didn't go to the herbalist. We were really pretty healthy. So I really attribute the beginning of my plant studies uh, to joining the Peace Corps. And so I was 19, I was in Chile, and I was a health and nutrition educator. I knew I wanted some form of medicine and healing, but at 12, I knew I wanted the Peace Corps and nothing was going to come after that. So um, it it was the late 70s. So modern medicine was uh, very important and allopathy. And there was a saying in Chile, no sea bruja, don't be a witch. And so there was this undertone of, you know, really putting traditional medicine in the background. So it took a while for me to, to begin to work, watch women with plants. And I just remember, Rosalie, the first time I ever 
drank one of their strong infusions. I'd never had an herbal tea, maybe mint, maybe chamomile, but I never really had a medicine brew and, you know, places lit up in me that I didn't even know existed. And Mm -hmm. I just had this journey experience in a way. And so when I came back, I went to graduate school and in DC and it was all about, we got to save this medicine and traditional medicine, you know, really can't disappear. And, you know, it didn't take long for me to realize that, wow, this template of development, you know, is sort of this white person's idea. And, you know, again, this is early 80s. And I, but just something didn't feel right. And where's the invitation? And then I had this existential crisis and I thought, well, I don't even know about the herbs in Virginia or Appalachia or who am I to go save herbal medicines when I don't even know them here. So that sent me out of grad school and uh, went out to the mountains, worked in this wilderness school for emotionally challenged young women who had suffered different levels of trauma from different places, organizations, family. So I thought it was a wilderness school and we built our own structures. And I thought, I'm here for the plants. I'm living in the woods. That was my ticket. And I thought, oh, how hard can it be? I've been in the Peace Corps. I can do this. And it was really hard. But these women, these young girls and women, it was amazing. So I spent two years there. And right before my commitment was up, I met this woman and she said, well, look, if you're really interested in herbal medicine, you should go to the British School of Phytotherapy. It was in Bath, England at that time. It has since moved. And you know, in some ways, you know, you, you love science as well. I love how you really weave in science and make it sort of the same language of the sacred, of the energy. And so I too am a recovering scientist and, (laughs) you know, I really wanted that aspect for the plants. And the other thing is in here in the States, I wanted to work with a certain community, a low income, urban and herbalism, again, in the early eighties did not seem like, you know, a, a entry point. But anyway, I I went over to Britain and I interviewed at the school. But before that happened, um, I visited friends in Ireland and I was doing a counterclockwise tour. And, you know, I know your heart is also in the Hawthorne hedges. And so I got to the west coast of Ireland. I got to Doolin and I just didn't leave for months. So for me, what that was is this was my journey of indigeneity. I kind of thought I was coming for the British school, but, you know, my mother's, I have ancestors that I really hadn't met. And I was hustling jobs. I was doing uh, botanical tours of the Burren just to make money, working in restaurants, just falling in love with so many aspects of West Coast of Ireland. Really had a, a deep experience with that. And so then I did go to the school and it was so beautiful. But when I returned home, I thought, you know, I really want to work in medicine and I want to be accessible. So I became a physician assistant, loved it, totally loved the training. I didn't want medical school. I wanted more of the plants. Totally loved it. And you know how we have these great plans. It's like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And after that, this is going to happen. 
And I had this great plan. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get five years. I'm going to see all the rashes and learn meds and learn all that stuff. Learn how to stitch. Kind of do, you know, barefoot doctor stuff. You know, Rosalie, I think, you know, we have dreams. And then I think there's this overarching dream that dreams us. Mm-hmm. And so when the two align, then, you know, bliss occurs. So what happened was the dream that was dreaming me ahead of mine was, no, you're going to the plants and right out of PA school. So I found myself at an herb farm in Luray, Virginia, making minimum wage, uh, making dried flower wreaths and also planting herbs to the biodynamic calendar. And so it was just this amazing experience. Lived in a cabin. We didn't have running water. And this is back in the day when massage was not licensed, if you can believe that. So I thought, well, I'm making minimum wage. I have to pay my huge medical loan for school. And so I got a massage table, you know, learned to massage. And I did that during the morning. And then in the afternoon, I'd come home and we would just live in the forest. We just lived in the mountains and the meadows. And I had my books and I was spent seven years really in this self-taught mode, applying medicine and doing study. And so I always feel that You know, I really am a community-created herbalist because I would never refer to myself as an herbalist. We just weren't doing that then. It was when my community started referring to me. Oh, go see the herbalist. Or, yeah, she does massage, but you should check out her herbs. And so that's when I really felt initiated um, by my community. And then I met Rosemary Gladstar and all of a sudden this world <laughs> opens up and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people out here that, you know, work this way. And she shone her light on me and I was able to teach and, you know, then really found our amazing community of teachers and herbalists and conferences and you know, we're all so anxious for us to join again. So I went and I traveled. I sought certain teachers out and I traveled and I learned from them. And then we opened an herb school. Teresa Boardwine and I opened up a herb school in Little Washington, Virginia called Dreamtime. We had that for seven years because I thought, wow, the journey to become an herbalist should not be so torturous and you know, it, it was it was a hard road at times. So then we opened that school. It was a great school. We had great guest teachers. And then after seven years, I moved down here to Charlottesville, uh, where I have sacred plant traditions and creating a whole other community. It's not urban. Charlottesville is not urban at all. But I have this downtown sanctuary. And my new mission is, you know, you don't have to wait till you have 20 acres, plant the plants, plant the ginseng and golden seal. Um, So here we are today, enjoying this conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that story, Kat. You know, one couple of things that struck me is one, just how the plants kept calling you back, no matter like where you went or what you did. They were like, Kat, come back. <laughs> we're here. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. And also one thing that I just really want to accentuate for people who may not know you before today is as in your bio, I love how you said in your bio that one of your greatest accomplishments is that you 
um, have inspired you know all these other herbalists who have become yeah. um, clinical herbalists, apothecaries, etc. And I just I over the years I can't tell you how many people I've met her. Oh, I studied with Kat Meyer. Oh, I went through Kat Meyer's program. Oh, I saw her. Throw that out that you really have been sharing your wisdom with a lot of people, and it's like a rippling, you know, ripple going uh, out there. So. Yeah. yeah, you know, I had a Chinese teacher long, long time ago uh, say, Rosalie, you know, the goal of a healer is obsolescence, hmm. and that deeply struck me. And I thought, oh, but we'll always have to make a living, and we'll always have to have import, and you know, now that, I mean, I could leave Charlottesville, I could disappear from the planet and herbalism is really thriving here. So, so that's why I share that because that's what you're doing and teachers are doing and, you know, passing it on that it's such a joy. Yeah. Oh. Well, I'm really excited to talk about chickweed. I'm excited for a couple of reasons, um, but I should start with you. Why are you excited to talk about chickweed? <laughs> oh, I know. It's like, oh, I want to hear why you're excited. <laughs> Boy, how do you choose one herb? <laughs> so one, I've been recently harvesting it. It's, you know, I love the fall greens you know just like mescaline and just like our spring greens and fall greens you know we have that in the herb world we have the spring chickweed viola dandelion and then they're back in the fall and they're fresh and juicy and they've kind of gone through that summer and kind of wilted and got bitter fibrous so i've recently been back at the lush fall chickweed and I, I love the archetype and the story of chickweed that, you know, she's so incredibly gentle and, and whatever gender, you know, you might feel that chickweed's male or a spirit and that really doesn't matter. But for me, it's so incredibly, she's so nourishing and nutritious and gentle. Yet I have seen chickweed go deep in with MRSA, in Batigo, you know, a lot of my teachers are the Mennonite community I work with. And for the Mennonites, this is not alternative. I've done many, many home births. I've had the honor of working in that community, and they don't transport. So they have extended many, many boundaries for me. Whooping cough, when one gets it, eight get it. So with chickweed, you know, impetigo, strep, you know, serious bacterial infections. I've worked with chickweed, a compress, working with a tea or a gargle, um, serious infected boils. And, you know, when we learn the energetics, which you so beautifully teach and stay true to that and really repeat that because for beginners, it is a little foreign, but it clears heat. And so chickweed is very cooling. It clears heat. It moves heat which is why I love it for menopause, for that heat of menopause, um, to really clear that and moisten. And it really brings yin, if people are familiar with yin and yang. And the yin is more the fluid, the, the water element. So I can go on with many other stories about chickweed. And, you know, many people now are starting to work with the spirit of the plant. and But for me... You know, I don't teach that spirit medicine. I meet my own plant and I journey to the plant and it takes a long time. 
you know, it isn't just a weekend workshop and, oh, I know this. And so it's just like you, you know, we've had wonderful encounters and, but spending more and more time, I would really feel your spirit and know that. So for me, what Chickweed really invited me to use her in was children who don't laugh enough. And so what was interesting is when I would then uh, work with children and kind of look at that profile, when you're doing intakes, um, I would notice there would be dry lungs, um, that they might have been on medications, that they might have had a history of asthma. So it was this beautiful bronchial application, adding it into teas and primarily teas. I work with tinctures in a way and when you're working with chickweed, you really want to do a fresh plant tincture. But I remember learning from Susan Weed. She was one of my first herb teachers, and she was perfect out of medical school because I had all these rules and regulations and limits, and, oh, but I can't go there, and, oh, no, you're going to need to treat that seriously. So Susan, in her Aquarian way, kind of blue boundaries aside. And so learning chickweed in the beginning was always had to be fresh, always had to be fresh. And then Phyllis Light came to our school and what she does is these wonderful provings and you drink a cup of this big vat of tea she makes. And we all had profound experiences and she kind of had this knowing smile and she said, that was dried chickweed. Hmm. So she really taught me through that experience, you know, I use it dried a lot now hmm. in teas, going deep. I think chickweed is like viola, violet, it really works on boundaries. And that's why chickweed works with cysts and fibroids and sort of dissolving those boundaries, which is why I think it works with deep infections. Like I didn't know about biofilm way back when. And I just wonder if chickweed doesn't have a relationship of kind of moving through biofilms or the protective barriers the bacteria set up because they want to thrive. You know, they want to stay intact. I now work with dry chickweed. I used it in COVID, moistening some of the dry respiratory issues. Boy, there, there's rarely a place where I can't find a reason for working with chickweed. Well, thank you for sharing so much of that. Yeah, chickweed, it is such an unassuming plant. You know, it's a, it's a weed that will just grow in people's gardens. I've also seen it growing in, in forests like a weed and disturbed soils. And one thing I just, one reason I was excited to talk about is because of its energetics. Just, it is such a like emblem of how we like it's just so easy to get it with chickweed you know you take a bite of it you taste that it's moistening you taste you know you can feel the cooling functions on it and it is interesting that it's like it has kind of a Swedish or bland taste it's not it's not hard to eat at all and so many of our herbs that clear heat are very bitter you know like golden seal comes to mind immediately super you know bitter and this one it's like it's just so it seems so unassuming it's like this tasty Swedish bland weed weedy green and then it's so amazing for infection but really that like and you keep in mind that when there's a hot inflamed dry something going on it doesn't even matter what it is if it's just hot inflamed dry chickweed I mean that's and it's just it's the cooling moistening qualities of chickweed and it just makes so much sense and it works. Yeah, so that's so beautiful. Exactly. So that's why digestive system, respiratory system, it's just knowing 
you know, the tissue state or energetic, whatever lens and language you work with, and it's pretty ubiquitous. Yeah. Which when we're looking at sustainability now, and it has to be the main conversation, it'll grow during the winter. Mm-hmm. And especially if you have a greenhouse, you know, people that have greenhouses, I will go and I'll borrow a corner and spread chickweed seeds because then you'll have the fresh for earaches or some hot winter infections. It loves the greenhouse and mm-hmm. you have to have a friend because it, it will spread, but I, I love it. And even under snow. And that was interesting. You said about you use it for children who don't laugh. Uh, a lot because there is something so cheery about it uh when you get to know chickweed i think i I, you know it's like one of those spirit things i can't say that i know why it's cheery but when you spend time with chickweed it's got those little flowers that just seem so playful and cheerful exactly and isn't it called star flower or there's many common names but i think it's this star and when you really get your loop and you look at the flowers, these radiating petals, and it just is sort of, you know, this energy of moving out. And that's why these herbs, these plants, you can sit and you can contemplate them for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they, they just continually reveal themselves to us. And that's, you know, the mind-blowing aspect of how generous these plants are, they, they will keep revealing themselves. Um, so I love chickweed tea for the dry atrophy aspect of menopause or andropause with men as well as women working with that tissue and really moistening that. Yeah. And the other symptom that people, well, another obvious heat symptom is hot flashes, uh, especially associated with menopause. And so I'm excited to talk about your recipe because I get this question a lot about hot flashes, night flashes, that obvious sign of heat. I mean, that's like a, you know, anyone who's experienced that, you know, that's heat. There's no question there. No Um, question there. You're sharing a tincture recipe that includes chickweed for clearing heat. Yeah. So, you know, that was my classic in the way back when uh, formula, and it's black cohosh, and I'm sure that it's listed, but um, the herbs are chickweed, black cohosh, dandelion, taraxicum. I can speak a lot about that in menopause. And then depending on the person, sometimes it would be vitex. And now I'm using less black cohosh because that's really threatened in because of menopause, we've, you know, tons and tons have been harvested and there's a huge black market. So what I've been using instead of the cohosh is kudzu, the vine that took over the south. I mean, kudzu is is not endangered. And what's interesting is both of those plants, what the medicine is more than a phytoestrogen, they're steroidal. And so those steroids really nourish our body, nourish the adrenal. And, you know, with black cohosh, why it works, it it loosely binds in those um, hormone receptors. And so you don't have, you know, that the surge or that need. And what's interesting is one of the main mechanisms of hot flashes is, you know, your body's like, oh, make FSH, make estrogen, make estrogen. And then when the stores are low, it'll throw out adrenaline. Like, come on, you make this. It'll kind of demand it. That's the hot flash. 
you know, it's that adrenaline surge because it's trying to kind of jumpstart the hormone, if you will. So the beautiful thing about cohosh is it's steroidal and it helps the adrenals and helps that cortisol. And, you know, traditionally it was, it really wasn't used for menopause. It was rheumatism and joints because it's just so deeply nourishing through steroids. And look at kudzu. If, if your listeners aren't familiar with kudzu, it just is the vine that's crawling all over Southeast. And it's a steroid. Like that's the archetype. If you look at a doctor and his signatures, it's on steroids. And so I've been trying to use more kudzu. But I, I really love the Vitex you know, supporting progesterone, the black cohosh, supporting the estrogenic hormones. Dandelion, you know, our liver breaks down hormones. So working with dandelion root during menopause, for me, that's liver heat. You know, that that heat, that hot rising is also liver heat, if people are a little familiar with Chinese medicine. And so it's so cooling. You know, roots have a downward direction in vitalism. Every plant has a direction. So, and dandelion, I mean, it's just, it, it's just ubiquitous and it's just a, such an incredible medicine and, it, and vitamins. And, but I love putting dandelion root in there just to leave this energy because a lot of times in menopause, there is liver congestion. You know, there's lots of surges of hormones or maybe people are on medications or just living in America. Um, so I, I love dandelion in that formula. Nice. And I think there's a motherwort in there as well. Oh, my gosh. Of course. <laughs> the queen. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll come back and do a whole show on motherwort. <laughs> so motherwort. Yeah. I mean, vasodilator. It's a cooling bitter. It's. It's just so incredibly comforting because it, it does dilate the blood vessels. And so that's very relaxing. It's a nervine. It's another bitter. And sometimes I've just pure, simply worked with motherwort. And that in itself can really affect, like if somebody has sort of a PRN hot flash bottle, sometimes I'll give them a little bottle of motherwort. Mm -hmm. So if something's coming on at work or during the day, um, sometimes the alcohol is heating, but you do have to be careful of that because alcohol has its own energetic that can aggravate hot flashes, but you know, you can take it and it can sometimes have a, a very quick effect on that. Lovely. One thing I really love about chickweed, especially for hot flashes and night um, sweats is that it's not only cooling, but also moistening mm. and for not always, but sometimes from energetically that sensation of the heat can be caused by lack of moisture in the body. So that's a really nice, it's just a, such a great pairing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes viola can be in there as well because a lot, lots of nutrition and a lot of nourishment. And, you know, we work a lot with unhoused and we work in our free clinic and, you know, working with herbs that they can gather, they understand, and it's heat. You know, street living is harsh. It's really, really harsh in hydration. And they love chickweed viola teas that we'll take mm -hmm. and make in an urn. And so that moistening aspect, you're so right about that. You're so right. And, and that's why I love it with 
It's a safe enough tea when folks are on inhalers or steroids for asthma because they can be very drying. And we really, that mucous membrane lining, that is our immune system. You know, keeping that moist, keeping the sinuses and lungs and all that mucin, that's where the immune cells show up. So this is a great time to start talking about that as wood heat comes on or indoor heat. You know, the, the winter broths, you know, you really want them moistening. You want to really keep that nice and juicy with the membranes. This message is for the listeners. As you probably know by now, I love to share recipes when we talk about these plants. Recipes are a wonderful way for you to get involved and create your own experience with herbs. It's one thing to hear cool facts about chickweed, but an entirely other thing to form your own relationship with this plant through observing, tending, and tasting, and really getting to know its herbal energetics for yourself. To help you get to know chickweed more deeply, Kat is sharing a tincture recipe for addressing menopausal hot flashes. She calls it Menoese. You can download your recipe card by visiting herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. There, you'll also find the show notes, including direct links to Kat's offerings and a transcript of this interview. Is there anything else you'd like to share about chickweed? Well, it's interesting. One of Susan Weed's uses has been in weight loss and metabolism. And what I have found is it's this great relationship with minerals. And in, in my view, water follows salt. And, you know, chickweed is so salty in, and nutritious in, in good earth salts. So why I think it also is so deeply moistening is it has this salt. And when it moves into the cells, it attracts that water. It brings that water in. And so it also helps metabolism that way. And I have found that when women are trying, or men, it's mostly women, um, trying to lose weight, chickweed provides this satiation. And it's kind of hard to describe, but it might be that moistening. They, they just feel content. It's just this calming and relaxing and and that's why I love the energetics because moistening treats tension. And, you know, with all the tissue states, you know, that tension or relaxation when you're looking at tone, that can be caused by dryness and that can be caused by heat. So when we're moistening, not only are we nourishing and building the tissue, but then we're also allowing that body to have what it needs so it's not striving for nutrients or creating a tension, if you will. You know, it really addresses dry atrophy, tension, so many other stagnation. I mean, it moves things. And chickweed is really interesting, and I think that's because of the salt. I think I'll use it in stagnant lymphatics, you know, whether it's redroot or calendula or when there's this kind of stagnant lymph, you know, nodules aren't moving or whatever that may be, Uh, chickweed will pull because, you know, the lymph system is our internal ocean. It's really all about water. And so when you have these nettles and, you know, earthen mineral teas, 
that really helps uh, move lymphatics. So I add chickweed to my lymphatic teas. <laughs> I bet we could go to digestion if I but yeah. I love the language you're using, Kat, because, you know, so often when people first get interested in herbs, they're kind of focused maybe on like solutions or problems they're having. So they'll be like, what herb is good for high blood pressure? What herb is good for digestion? What herb is good for acne? Which is a fair question because that's what brings a lot of us to the world of herbalism. But then there's like this opportunity to like pull back the curtains and see this whole beautiful wide world of herbalism and really is a whole other language, a whole other way of thinking about health and illness or dis-ease. And I'm so excited to talk about your book. And I'm just so thrilled to have an early advanced copy, got this before most people, and I've been pouring through it. And this is such a great book for that learning that language, learning that different way of, you know, a traditional way of looking at energetics and so much of what you've been, you've been talking about, tension, heat, stagnation, those are definitely the, the language of the herbalist. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, uh, it's what's interesting about the book is in some ways, it's my three year clinical curriculum. Hmm. And yet, I don't want to have people have to come to a school or pay money or how can I make, you know, what I feel for practitioners or working with your family, you know, working with yourself, working with your friends, what are some of the languages and skills and tools. And so in many ways, that's what energetic herbalism is. It's kind of everything I know, everything I believe in. And it's taking the different energetic systems, you know, whether Chinese, Ayurvedic, and then our own Western language and familiarizing them. Because at the end of the day, as you know, Rosalie, it's all about the elements. Mm. It's about fire and water and wind. And because I think that the one conversation everyone needs to be having now is climate change. You know, how can we help people directly engage? And, you know, I am fire. Where is the fire? What is earth? And how we relate, you know, our bones are, you know, we are these elements. And so to learn the elements, we're learning our nature. And if I know more of my tendencies and who I am and what I'm prone to, then that can guide my food, my diet. Plus, it's so super fun. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is so cool. And it all is substantiating traditional medicine. It's like, oh, that's why all the digestive herbs are stimulants and aromatics and they're moving and they're punching. And it kind of like, as you said, it, it's like it makes things fall into place and it can be very intuitive. It can also be confusing. So um, this was my attempt to try to uh, simplify and present what can be pretty overwhelming concepts in a easier format to digest. That's interesting. You say that this is your like three year clinical um, curriculum, because when I when I was reading the book, I, that's I like looked up at my husband one point and I said, this book is what I went to school for three years of learning. Mission accomplished. So much in there, but like you said, simplified uh, and 
really weaving yeah. together of traditions. One thing right. that I love about energetics is that like when I first started learning energetics, I remember feeling like some resistance and I was learning a lot of Chinese medicine. And I remember learning, you know, like all the patterns, like deficient kidney yang. And I was like, deficient kidney yang, like this, you know, I'm just like memorizing this weird, right. you know, stuff. Like it doesn't make sense to me because I'm not Chinese. And, but once I started practicing and once I had more experience, I realized like, oh, this is just revealing a pattern that are, you know, that exists. Exactly. And now I have some terminology, some experience and ways of recognizing that pattern that were just invisible to me before. Exactly. Yeah. It's just a, a revealing of what is. And it's so beautiful that that gets tied into our bodies, plants, nature, because it really is just seeing all how all of those weave together and, and the, the patterns that already exist. And, and that's, that's such a key word pattern and it's patterns of nature. And so it's why native peoples would never build on top of a mountain because there's wind and it's windy and wind dries and wind gets things stirred up. And so when we realize whether it's a vata dosha or lots of activity brings wind into our body and it dries it, it becomes this you know, organic expression in relationship with the world around us. And we start watching water and, you know, this is what so many of the, when I say indigenous, I mean Celtic indigenous and uh, Swedish indigenous, you know, there's, you know, every land and continent, you know, has their native people. And, you know, the interesting thing, and I'm so glad you said that is, you know, why I love Western energetics is, is vitalism. And, you know, when I'm working with clients or students and I say, oh, wow, your vitality's back or you look a little, you look more vital today as versus, oh, your prana is rising or splinchy or using languages that create this hierarchy again, you know, that create, oh, I, I don't really know what she is. I don't want to ask, but vitalism, you know, oh, it's hot. It's cold, you know, everybody knows stagnant, like stagnant's a state of being. So what I love about the Chinese and what I use are the seasons and the mm. emotions and the spring, liver, anger, how do we process that? You know, whether it's winter and kidneys and fear. To me, when I learned the seasonal elements and the correspondences, I just thought this is a gem. Hmm. Ayurveda doshas, you know, I know that we have Western constitutions. Jim McDonald, you know, a huge fan and friend, you know, choleric and sanguine. And when he teaches it, I get it. But it just wasn't a system I resonated with. You know, I love the doshas. It speaks to me. It's It's the elements. You know, it's really the elements. So... You know, so I honor that and, you know, I, I'm really grateful that today we're really looking at, well, whose tradition is it and am I appropriating traditions and we're really having this great conversation. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful for Vasant Lad and all the Chinese teachers and practitioners that wanted us in the West to have this information, have this knowledge that they shared willingly because it's 5,000 years of brilliance, mm -hmm. observation of nature, mm -hmm. that it just makes sense. Yeah, that is so true. 
I'm, I don't often talk about this, but I'm very much a student of five phases. And like you said, the Chinese oh, seasons, I right. actually, that's something, a big part of my life. I do a lot of studies with that. I have my own mentor. And so, you know, each season I'm sinking deeper and deeper into that. And like you said, 5,000 years of wisdom, I'm just trying to, you know, grasp little specks of it, but it is something that is again, revealing about patterns and just brings me, it's, I find it so fun and interesting, but there's also a lot of healing there as well. Oh, that's so wonderful. That's so exciting. And you know, so many people call it five element. And when I learned it, it was called five element, but I've loved doing a deeper study and realize it is the phase. It's all about transition and it's representing the movement of seasons and the movement of elements and, you know, the phases of our lives. So mm -hmm. that, that's so wonderful. So well, you'll have to give me feedback on, <laughs> and, and I'd love to have longer conversations about that because it's so entrancing to me as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing about herbalism. Like if we just stop at the door of like, what herb is good for high blood pressure? It's just like, it's kind of like just bump. I don't know. There's not a lot there, you know, you can like name up some herbs and there you go. But when you talk about these energetics and seasons and patterns and nature connection, for me, it just so much comes to life and it's just a never ending joyful experience that is so for me in my life has been so deeply enriching and it's really informed and, and you know, led my whole life now. I know, I know. And we'll, we'll be forever following it. Forever, you know, yeah. I, there's a poet, William Safford, who I, I, I refer to him in the book and he has this great poem called The Way It Is. And he talks about this golden thread and, you know, there's this thread that we follow and others can't see and we we can't explain it and we don't know why we're following it. And I find so many people on the herbal path, it's hard, you know, it's isolating and sometimes lonely, but they have this courage, you know, they, they we're, we're kind of like outlaws, you know, we don't fit and I'm so happy we don't fit that that golden thread can be very different for different folks on the plant path. And, and you know, the one thing I, I do want to say, yes, we're always saying, well, I, I can't treat high blood pressure. You know, are you hot, you cold, you damp, you're dry. And yet at the same time, I just love how if somebody has a headache and you're like, well, try Skullcap and it works, you know, these herbs can work symptomatically mm -hmm. and then the person's hooked you know then the yeah. person's like oh i want more <laughs> mm -hmm. so you know i always say to beginning herbalists just you know don't worry just keep it simple and try things try things simply and things that are safe and and then you'll have time to delve deeper because you know i still for shingles it's still hypericamin skullcap, you know, <laughs> for 30 years that has worked and, you know, it still works, but it's so great, all the different variations, but those energetic languages become a contemplation and it's our nature and we begin to experience things on another level. Well, thank you for sharing all of this with us. And I'm just, I'm excited for people to check out your book, Energetic Herbalism. And so excited for all that you've shared to be able to share this with everyone. Yeah, thank you. I just want to say choosing, you know, I only chose 25 herbs and that was a self-imposed limitation 
And again, that's because, you know, my work with United Plant Savers, you know, we really have to begin shifting and changing habits. And just what you were saying, when you learn the energetics, you can work with plants in, in, in so many different levels. And so to pick the weedy herbs or, you know, choose just 25 herbs, it, it was truth be told, a little painful. <laughs> and I thought, oh, where's Tulsi? Where's Rose? I don't even have Rose in there. Mm -hmm. So there might be another book with plants in it. But, you know, I just really love taking one plant and really seeing how far can we explore with this. Mm -hmm. Actually, when I read that in your book, because you do talk about, you know, the, that you only chose 25 and that was intentional. And I just felt like when I read that, I was like, yes, that, that's some constructive feedback I've gotten about my books that there's, there's not enough plants. You know, people, some people want the encyclopedia compendium of, you know, 200 plants. And, and I'm, I'm right there with you and that, you know, the let's narrow, simplify, and then go really deep. And actually your story about how you started with a few, and then you went on this tour and you learned so many, and then you came back to the few is my exact same journey. You know, I learned from an ethnobotanist. So it was very like, you learn the plants that grow here. Uh -huh. Then I learned Chinese medicine and Ayurveda. And all of a sudden I was like, all the herbs, <laughs> all the herbs all the time. But then when it came to actual practice, when I was in clinical practice and then just, you know, using plants for me and my family, it kept coming back to these same more select herbs mm. that I had a deeper relationship with. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I have in the book Suevo Brooks, fabulous herbalist and writer. And I just say this over and over to classes that he says, you know, it's so much better to know 40 uses of one plant than 40 plants with one use. Yeah. And it's such a mantra. And, and it took us, you know, it took us our journey, you know, to venture out and then come back home. Yeah. And so that that's so interesting. That's beautiful. Well, before we go, Kat, I'd, I'd love to hear if something on your herbal journey has particularly surprised you. Boy, uh, how to choose. So I'd probably say the greatest surprise that keeps revealing itself is what we were just talking about, the revelation of layers of medicine. Hmm. And, you know, I tell the story of Black Cohosh in the book and how I met it. And it was my first kind of spirit experience. And, you know, I harvested, I grew it, I would preserve it, you know, all these uses of Cohosh and kind of the good old days when we thought there was an abundance you know, it, we had a lot more freedom in using it. And then I tell the story about studying with my teacher, Karen Sanders, who's Choctaw, and Sarah Holmes. And we were in an apprenticeship. So a lot was set up. It wasn't simply gathering in a circle. There was a lot of medicine and holding space and sacredness. But so it was our final weekend and we were in a culmination of our studies and we were going to do ancestral work. And so, you know, they give us a drop and how we work with them is we take a drop of the tincture and then we're off for about an hour and we go journey. And, you know, the, the Kohash experience uh, was psychedelic, kaleidoscopic, and immediately... I see the double helix and, 
you know, it, it was this profound, profound journey that was so certain. And, you know, and I, I came out and this isn't that long ago. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, I've been harvesting and growing and using cohosh and here's this whole other medicine. And it's a Choctaw medicine and it's how they make their medicine. And I don't know if I could, you know, I, I can't teach what they teach. You know, I can tell stories. But then how many other plants have these hidden medicines? Maybe chickweed, you know, we, we have that. So, you know, I, I think the surprise is it never ends. I'm forever <laughs> humbled. I'm absolutely forever humbled. And I really mean that because it's not just, oh, I'm honored or it's blessing. Like, <laughs> I am blown away on my knees. Like, wow. It's psychedelic just without entheogens. The plant world is so multidimensional. And, you know, that's the beauty of these simples. That might be a little longer, but that, that still is surprising and delightfully so. Yeah, I loved hearing all of that, Kat. That's decades of experience and a lot of wisdom in there as well. Mm, thank you, Rosalie. Thank you so much. And it's so wonderful because I, I love your writing and all that you do. And, you know, to, to find so many similar experiences and discoveries and, you know, along the way and those energetics that you have really done so much for getting out incredibly simply and bringing that language as a common language now. You know, that's how folks are looking at foods and herbs and it's our work. It's our yeah. work. Yeah, it is. Our, our joyful work that's forever expanding, forever deepening. Yeah. And revealing and exciting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for spending time with me and everyone today, Kat. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Rosalie. This was really wonderful. Thank you. For the listeners, don't forget to head over to herbswithrosaliepodcast.com to get free access to Kat's Menno Ease Tincture Formula. Also available are the complete show notes, including the transcript. You can also visit Kat directly at katmeyerherbalism.com. I deeply believe that this world needs more herbalists and plant-centered folks. I'm so glad that you're here as part of this herbal community. Have a beautiful day. Hey, thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. And if you're a new listener, thanks for checking out the show. And don't forget that you can find all the recipes, links, and show notes over at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. While you're there, you can subscribe and get updates when new episodes release and even submit your requests for future podcast episodes. The world needs more people who are connected to the earth and the healing gifts of plants. I'm so glad that you're here for this adventure. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Rising Appalachia for the use of their beautiful song, Resilience. Listen to more from Rising Appalachia at risingappalachia.com.